Hi, I'm Jonathan Groves, and welcome to the Cranmer Fellows Podcast. This is a podcast that explores pastoral ministry from an Anglican perspective. If you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an aspiring minister, I, along with my co-host, Matt Kennedy, pray that this podcast will help equip and encourage you in your ministry to Christ Church. This podcast is an arm of the pastoral training program, the Cranmer Fellowship, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Church of the Good Shepherd is a congregation committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of His life, death, and resurrection through the study, exposition, proclamation, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. If you would like more information about the Cranmer Fellowship, Church of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to reach out to us about this podcast, please do so by emailing us at cranmerfellowship.com at gmail.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. When Matt is gone, uh, as you know, I'll typically have a a guest on the podcast and I'll interview them, uh, some questions about their testimony and their background and their beginning years in ministry and then all that stuff talk talk to them about their ministry context and it occurred to me that though matt uh, you are a a co-host of this podcast uh, your your story is is worth an interview as well so i thought uh we i should interview you um and uh, so that's what we're going to do today um so matt welcome to the show um So if uh, for those who do not know already, Matt Kennedy has been rector of Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York for more than 20 years now. Is that correct? It's like, is it 22? We came in June of 2002. So I guess it's 21, 21 years now, right? 21 years. Yeah. Originally from Texas. So that makes two of us. Right. right. Um, (laughs) You received your bachelor in history, right? Yes, Southwestern University in in Georgetown, Texas, right? And where did you uh, get your Master of Divinity? That was at, at uh, Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay, and we'll we'll hear a little bit about that in a in a few minutes how that went. Um, Matt is married to Anne Kennedy, and they have six kids who make up half of my youth group. So <laughs> a little bit of an exaggeration, but not by much. So um, Matt, well, let's, let's just start at the beginning. Um, uh, just your, I guess your life before ministry, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your background, maybe family life and ultimately your, um, uh, your journey and, uh, and coming to the faith? I mean, I was raised. I was raised in the Episcopal Church, uh, All Saints Episcopal Church in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, and my my dad is a believer now, but wasn't when I was older. But he loved. He want. He wanted me to have a church background. He thought he thought it was good for us to go to church, and so he he made sure we were there every Sunday. My mom became a Christian when I was a little boy, like when I was three years old. And uh, from a, a next door neighbor who's a Methodist came over with their big black Bible and sat down at the coffee table and had the Romans road talk. And my mom became a Christian. And and then she said, we should we, she convinced my dad that we would go to church. I was going to a, to an Episcopal day school. 
at the All Saints uh, at the time. So they just said, we'll, we'll go there. Um, that's where I was baptized. So I was raised in the Episcopal Church. And, uh, you know, I, I liked it. I didn't have any problem with it. It was, it was, I had a lot of friends at the church, good times. But I just, I mean, it was, I didn't get it. I didn't get the gospel. I didn't get any of this. I'm not saying that the gospel wasn't preached. I'm, I'm, so, several of the priests who were, who were priests that I know preached the gospel. I just wasn't, I just wasn't listening. And, you know, I, so I came out of, I came out of that era of my life. And, and by the time I went to college, my understanding of Christianity was, you know, be good like Jesus. And you go to heaven, and if you're not good like Jesus, you go to hell. So, and I knew I wasn't good like Jesus. So, I, I, I just I thought there was like no use because I couldn't be, I couldn't be the good person that I was supposed to be. And so I went. I in, in college, I traveled through like several stages of I was uh, you know, an atheist for a while, like one semester, and I was an agnostic from a lot of time, a long time, and then I was a theist. By the time when I got to college, I was persuaded. I did a lot of studying of, on on theology and, and that sort of thing in college, just on the side. I was my I was a history major, but I did I was interested in it. And my mom kept sending books um, by C.S. Lewis and things. So by the time I came out of college, I was a theist, but still not persuaded about the Christian thing. Um, and uh, uh, there are some personal issues going on at the time i lost a girlfriend that i'd been with for four years and i was really devastated by that and so i was drinking really heavily and doing stupid things um and um and uh, i i continued to study though i, I read, actually started, started to read the bible before i became a christian i didn't read the whole thing but i was, I, I, I was just kind of dabbling in it and thinking about it um and i actually i, I the timeline i actually came to believe that probably this stuff is true before i actually became a christian i mean i i i, be, I, I think there's a, a short period of time where i thought oh no this is this is probably right this is probably true oh no um and it wasn't i think i, I told sort of my conversion that happened when i was in a car in houston on the way to school uh grad school and i heard a sermon by rc scroll in which the gospel was actually explained it's not you know it's not about you being a good person it's about what christ has done not what you do first time i'd ever heard that blew my mind and then um became i got down on my knees and asked jesus to save me uh maybe after that but very soon um after that so that was like i think i was 20 24 25 i can't remember exact age um that I was, but it was in the night. It was I, I graduated from college in 1994, so it was after that. It was sometime after that, two or three years after that, I think. Um, so I, I had I was living in Houston, and there's uh, there there's some there were some good Episcopal churches still in those days in Houston, and there may be still some there. I don't know, uh, but I, I happened to walk into one uh, that where I was I was actually going to a, a community Bible study. I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but there used to be these uh, non-denominational, really good, thorough Bible studies, and I was going to that. after my conversion. I really wanted to, uh, wanted to learn, and this happened. This one happened to me in this particular Episcopal church, and I thought, well, hey, if this Episcopal church will host this group, it must be a pretty good church. I was wary of the Episcopal church, so I knew there was crazy things going on even back then, um, and I, you know, I'd been raised in it, so I'd been paying attention. Uh, but so I went to this church on Sunday morning. It was it was a great heard a great sermon and nothing crazy was going on and so and and i the pastor stopped me on the way out 
And I asked if I could get together with him and he said, sure. And so we had coffee and uh, he started, actually started mentoring me from that point on. And um, uh, ultimately about a year later, way too soon, because I was a brand new Christian, this should not have happened. <laughs> But, but I was I was I, I was employed there as as a um, a youth minister, which was I mean I was I was a Christian, so I mean I got it. But I was I mean I was right the whole thing about waiting for a little bit before <laughs> before you put someone uh, was probably was probably a wiser course in my in my uh, in my case. So I was there for uh, two three years, and then from from there I went to um, seminary and. Uh, and I, I went to seminary in 1999. Um, the bishop was very reluctant to send me because he thought I was too conservative. So he held me back a year, hoping I would soften. And then, and then uh, he finally sent me, but he sent me to a liberal seminary because he wanted me to be balanced. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yeah. You do need yeah. to be balanced. Yeah. 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 Liberal <laughs> theology and conservative <laughs> theology, both those things are in balance. Um, so, so you, you start meeting with your pastor a year later, you are the youth pastor. Now, at what point did you sense that God was calling you into pastoral ministry? Was that when you started meeting with your pastor and that's why he hired you? Or was that during your time of being a youth pastor? Yeah, it was, I, I was feeling a personal sense of call. And by that, I mean, I really want to be a pastor. I, I had been, uh, before my conversion, I had been super shy. I couldn't talk in front of people. I didn't, when I had to give presentations at college, I'd be just shaking out of my, you know, I couldn't do it. But that's one of the things that really changed about me when I became a Christian. I wanted to teach. I wanted to preach. I, I, I had no idea where that came from. So um, I expressed that to, to him and he said, well, that, that's something to, to think about. And so we, in the course of our meeting together, then when the opportunity came up to hire a youth minister, he thought of me. And so I, I was, he was giving me things to read. Like I read, I read the institutes, Calvin's institutes before I went to seminary. I read a lot of Luther's works before seminary. I read a lot of Augustine before seminary because he, he had an idea in his head that my, my bishop would send me to a, a liberal place and he wanted to get me to, to give me some solid material before wow. I go. Good, good for him. Good on him. Yeah, he's a, he's a great, he still is. He's 87 years old now. So I talked to him once a month. So he's a good guy, Al Lawrence. How is that that church now? Is, are they? Uh, it's you know, sadly, it's, it, was in, it stayed in the Episcopal Church. So he like he right, he retired, I would say, what is this, about 15 years ago now? Um, this is retirement. And, uh, you know, when, when you're in the Episcopal Church, uh, your bishop has a lot of influence over who, who the, the congregation calls. The vestry has to, to make the has to agree too, but um, but if a bishop wants to make your congregation more influenceable by for progressivism, he's gonna he's gonna send you candidates who are who are more and more left leaning, and that's kind of what happened to this church. And so now it 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 doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be solid. And so I I, I and he's my mentor is really sad about it. Because he 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 built that place. He was there for like twenty years, and uh, he gave wow. himself over to the church. So that is really sad. Yeah. Okay. So uh, walk us through your uh, journey through uh, the liberal seminary, <laughs> and uh, why did it not work the way the bishop wanted it to work? 
Well, I mean, I, th- I guess I, you know, I take it as a challenge. I guess I thought, you know, okay, well, uh, I've got to go to this place. So uh, I'm going to try and get really good grades and I'm going to try and be able to answer all of these arguments that I'm being given I'm gonna, in a, in a, in a co- coherent way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to go in with a totally open mind, but I am going to go in ready to be challenged. Um, and, and to, and to, cause I don't, you know, Christians should not have totally open minds. No one should have a totally open mind, <laughs> but, but I'm going to go in ready to, ready to meet whatever they throw at me and, um, with God's help. So I didn't shy away from, uh, reading really, really horrible material that, <laughs> that, that, that just as a Christian, it, it makes your heart and soul shrivel to read, to, to read these things. Um, but I didn't, I wanted, I wanted to know exactly what they were saying. I had to kind of, I was kind of driven the first two or three years. And I think maybe one of the reasons that was the case is because God knew he was going to send me to, uh, central New York and to, and to this thing. So by, by, by the time I got out of seminary, I knew all, I mean, all the arguments that were being rehashed in the diocese by fellow priests and by my bishop when i got out of seminary those were arguments like 15 20 years ago when they were in seminary i was i was more i was more i knew the more advanced arguments for heresy than than they, than they, than they were giving me so i was i was prepped and ready um and it was it was really easy not to be not to be swayed or or influenced by them because i had this three-year experience of going through the going through the crucible of trying to be um uh, balanced by, by by the left. Um, well, it was hard. That, it was, huh? well, I was just going to say that that is really how you equip yourself to to handle the you know the attacks because whenever someone comes up with their arguments, you've already worked through those arguments. You've heard them before. I had a professor at my in my undergrad who uh, he was an archaeologist and he would be on these sites with a bunch of uh, liberal theologians and archaeologists and they would, they would say, well, who have you read this person and this person and this person and this person? And he said, Oh yeah, I've, I've read all of them. And then he would, he would mention one conservative author and none of them have had read any of them. And that's really right. how you, how you prep yourself. You, you, like you said, you dive into the crucible and you, uh, but of course you have to be, you have to be grounded though too, right? You you gotta be grounded in order to do that. Yeah. So were you how are you I mean, of course you were staying grounded in God's word and by his grace, but were, did you have a very good church during seminary? Uh I I was yeah, at the Paul's church with uh, John Yates, who was the um what he's still the director there. No, no, he retired. He he's um it's Sam I can't, my mind would just went blank, but he retired recent, he retired about five or six years ago. They lost their building. It was, it was one of the biggest Episcopal churches in the Diocese of Virginia. When they left, they lost their building. Uh, Really, really good church. They have a fellows program where they said they train young men and send them out. Um, I was just interning there. So I didn't, I wasn't part of that program, but, um, but it was, it was a great, it was a great place to be during seminary, but I'll tell you, it was a dark time. I, I did. I do think I, I, God was super, was very well equipping me intellectually for the fight that was going to come, but spiritually it was super dark. It was just, it was. Um, thank God for Anne. I met, I met Anne at, at seminary because 
because I don't think I've gone through a time of just real temptation, um, depression, uh, uh, just all the kind of assaults you'd expect in a difficult time that were thrown at me during those three years. It was it just it was really a dark, dark time and place. It felt demonic. Now that I'm out of it, I can. <laughs> The whole, the whole, a cloud of demons over the place. It seems like I don't know, but 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 but, uh, but it was a tough time, really tough time. And um, so so and that's when you're when you're surrounded by error. Um, I think looking when I, before I got to seminary, I thought, oh, this will be this will be a great time for me to you know you know answer uh, show the answer for the hope I have within me with generous respect. You know, kind of a, a, kind of a. Uh, a but I had a very simplistic idea of what was going to happen. Um, it, w- it was when you go into a place like that, you need to be prepared spiritually as well as intellectually. I was prepared intellectually. I don't know that I was as prepared spiritually as I should have been. So, what would that look like to be prepared spiritually? Well, I mean, I assumed I had a pretty good, you know, I had a pretty good habit going in of um, prayer in the morning and Bible study in the morning, and uh, I had a pretty good devotional set up going in um but i i guess i wasn't prepared for the onslaught of just depression that hits in a place just really morose so i didn't feel like getting up i didn't feel like reading my bible i didn't feel like praying i didn't feel like a you had to and you had to go to chapel that was mandatory and you're the chapel you just hear more heresy being skewed from the pulpit and so it's just you get into this hole of 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 uh, despondency i guess um so again i thank god for ann because when she came when we started when we met and started uh dating we would pray together we would, we would be able to read the bible together so there was someone else who i could talk to who was experiencing the same thing i was um and and kind of have an outlet of there was one other there were two other students i guess there also who are conservative but you know they one was married and the other one was um you know, we lived on campus he lived off campus so it was just it was basically me and ann so wow well you made it through the valley of the shadow of death and then you came to good shepherd right after right you graduated, came to Good Shepherd, and everything was great after that, right? You went. Yeah, it's perfect. It was the same as the placid honeymoon still going on. So, so, so. Tell me about the transition from seminary into Good Shepherd and your first few years at Good Shepherd. Yeah, so if you're if you're a Good Shepherd person, you probably heard this story before because I told it. But uh, I, when Anne um, and I both, we had a choice of going to Texas to serve or to new york and so we looked at some churches in texas and they were all pretty healthy um the ones we were we were, we were looking at and we thought oh wow this would be great it's a choice between these churches i was in all those churches i would have been a curate i would have been a, a, just um coming in as an assistant uh assistant rector and that's kind of what i wanted i wanted to train under somebody for in that position i already had some experience in the parish but i wanted to train under somebody for a couple of years before i became a rector myself which was the norm at the time so, but then we 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 had one church in Central New York that we could look at, and that um, that was Good Shepherd, and we we left uh, Alexandria, Virginia, in just March of two thousand and 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 two, 
to go check it out um, for graduation. It was so, I mean, I don't know if you were going to Alexandria, Virginia in March, but it's like, it's, it's like, it's so beautiful. It's like the grass is green. The trees are blooming. The, it's, the spring is gorgeous. Right. And so, and, and, and if, if anyone listening to this has ever been in Binghamton in March, it's, it's very What are you different. talking about, Matt? It's beautiful here. It's not. <laughs> so, so there's that, there's that kind of range of hills right between Syracuse or between Scranton and, and Binghamton. And you come down off that, off the valley and right, right as we're coming through that, there's this, the, there's this whiteout. I mean, like, there's snow is like pouring out of the sky. We almost run off the road. Um, and we almost turned around and said, no way, because we're not, we're not going to do this. That's a sign from God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, exactly. So we got, to, we got there and, um, and the people were very nice. We met, um, some of them are still here at Good Shepherd, which is, which is great. They're wonderful. But I would say to a person, and they would probably agree with this, they didn't know the gospel. Um, they had heard kind of the leftist Jesus was a good good person who went around doing good to people and he wanted to change the world and then you're going to change the world with jesus kind of thing um but that's about it they had no idea of their own personal need for a savior their own personal need for um to be justified because we're already great people right <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean what do you mean we're, we're doing we're, we're episcopalians we're great people um so uh so having spent like about a weekend or I think it was two to three days. We thought, man, we could go down to Texas where people hear the gospel preached regularly and leave these people here in the cold Binghamton. And you know, they'll get a priest, but he's gonna probably not be somebody who's who knows the gospel. So they'll do so or we could come up here to Binghamton. So, so we said, all right. We'll come to Binghamton for two years, and we'll, pre- we'll preach the gospel. We'll fix the church, and then we'll go back down to Texas. That was our, that That's was how plan. it works. <laughs> that is how it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that again, we got to Binghamton. We accepted the call. They were very gracious to us. We accepted the call. We got there in 2002, and things were already kind of rocky. I mean, we had. I think I told there was one lady had this like prayer group that was meeting down at the parish hall with like Buddhists and Hindus and, and everybody else. And, and yeah, they're, they're having that. They're, I first heard about this. She told me after church one day, one day, you should come to our prayer meeting. I said, oh, there's a prayer meeting here. Yeah, I, I, I want to come to your prayer meeting. And she said, yeah, well, the, we, the imam comes, the Hindu, then she's talking about all these. And I said, oh, and it, it meets in our basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it great? Uh, yeah, we're going to have to not do that. And, <laughs> right then and there was, you shut it down right then and there yeah i shut it down i, yeah. it. <laughs> I yeah. mean i could i, 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 I can't either, i couldn't let it go on and so she was upset and she wrote me a long long article about how all roads lead to god and sent it to me and you know she was she wasn't belong for the she left very soon but there was all those things like that there, there was a um the <laughs> the youth the education curriculum for the youth and there's like two youth but um but the it was middle school and um it was journey to adulthood and one section of journey to adulthood just you know talks about having sex and being being safe about it and you know being sure not to you know not, not, to, not to be judgy 
um, with anybody else. And, and so I saw that curriculum in seminary and I knew that if, whenever I went to you know, church, I was going to have it and whatever church I was going to lead. And so I, I said, no, we're going to not use this curriculum anymore and lost two families from that families. They're really couples who would bring their grandkids every once in a while. And, and then the teacher who taught the, uh, the curriculum left. So we, there was already kind of some turmoil there because I was bumping up against um, a kind of established culture. Um, what, what we did, though, before before the crisis even started, we started a Bible study on Tuesday morning, which is still going, um, and a men's Bible study on Friday morning. Um, and that started getting some traction. People started coming to these Bible studies. And we had three ladies who came to the Tuesday night Bible study. All three of them became Christians. And they pray. They came to morning prayer every every day. And we, they were praying for the church and praying for me and praying for our family, which was awesome. Uh, some of the men's, the men's Bible study. I mean, one of our parishioners who still goes to the men's study, Bible study was there the first Friday. And that started also kind of getting the men together as the, of the, of the church understanding wanting to read the bible and understanding the gospel several of the men who came to that bible study became christians in that bible study um so you had a we had a small group of people who were starting to, to hear and believe in jesus and then i started preaching expositionally short i mean you, if you heard sermons back then you thought man that's that can't matt can't preach for that short. yes i could i preached i, I started preaching for like 15 or 20 minutes um at first and that they were expositional as much as i could in that short of time uh and uh and so yeah the, there was a little bit change then and, and of course only i was only there for i guess a, a year before, until the until the uh when the controversy broke out yeah so into, yeah so tell tell us about that that controversy um you don't have to give every detail but um what was the controversy and how did it affect Good Shepherd? What was your response? In August of 2003, the, the, uh, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church met to vote on whether or not they would confirm the election of Gene Robinson to the office of bishop in the Diocese of New Hampshire. They had New Hampshire had chosen him as a partner gay man. Um, and, and since the election was within six months of the General Convention, that it would, would have to be it would have to be decided at the convention whether or not he'd be accepted. So what that meant is all the bishops in the church would come together and say yes or no on this, um, which is a huge thing. If all the churches come together, bishops come together and say yes, that means the church as a whole has affirmed this behavior as good. So they get together, all but twenty bishops affirm it. I think it, I think it was a count. And and I are in in, uh, in Texas for vacation. It's in August. We get we come back. I say, okay, well, I've got to, I think I'll preach on Romans 1. <laughs> you know, you know, because I had a, I had a whole bunch of people who are beginning to believe the gospel, right? Some people who are believing. So I think I thought I have a basis here. Um, I mean, I should have preached that sermon anyway, but I also thought in my mind that it would go over better than it did. So, oh, no. so, so we lost. I preached on Romans 1. Um, and I said, this, you know, Good Shepherd will never be a place where anything like that ever happens. Um, and and, beca and because we love people, we don't want them to go to hell. And, and this unrepentant behavior would lead you to hell. Here's the gospel again. Um, and we lost, over the course of the next week, we lost 20-something people, I would say, and a very small congregation. The congregation had 47 when we first got there. We'd grown a little bit. 
but it, it just destroyed all of the momentum. Uh, I I was devastated. I was so worried because you know we didn't we didn't have a lot of money in the first place, but we had an endowment, but we couldn't draw on it the principal. Um, so it was it was really rough. We we you know coming to church after that, see thirty people there, thirty five people there. It was really it was really tough. Um, some people who disagreed with me stayed, and I think they stayed on purpose to undermine what was going on. Um, so it it was great to get. I mean, I, I was devastated to lose the twenty people. It was the best thing that happened to Good Shepherd because after that, the vast majority were people who really did want to know the Bible, who were new converts, who were eager to learn, eager to eager to know Jesus. So that was great, but there were still so not a people like like ten people, maybe maybe less actually, who were bent on on finding a way to get rid of me. Um, and that culminated with uh, with a meeting in a, a, another church in the city in, in in town here, presided over by the bishop. Um, the of the five who were five or ten who were trying to get rid of me. Uh, three of them were on vestry. So, so they persuaded some others in the vestry to, to call the bishop to have a meeting about my removal. Um, the others they persuaded didn't want me to go, they, but they were told, this is just a, a discussion. They weren't told it was, a, it was an actual kind of trial thing. They, they just thought it was a, a discussion with the bishop. Um, and so the, 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 the plotters <laughs> called uh, the people in the parish who remained, who they thought might be friendly to the idea. And they called all the people, those 20 people who had left and more who in Episcopal polity are still considered members. They, these guys didn't sign up, didn't, didn't ask for transfer papers. They just said, we're not coming to church anymore. So those people show up, you know, so you have, but, but uh, the, the, the people who are plotting this, didn't factor right and they called some people they shouldn't have called they invited some people they shouldn't invite so that started people who were my supporters calling their people <laughs> and so and so at this there's this great meeting i only found out about it the day before i had no idea what was going on until uh until i overheard a phone message at the church which was talking about it and like uh, from the person one of the people who was plotting against me um and so i called the bishop up who hadn't told me about it and i said hey uh can I come to this meeting? No, you can't come to this meeting. So I was told I hadn't, couldn't go. I'd, it was a really heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching night was I, I was waiting to see what would happen. Um, and I got a call from a guy at our church who's still there who said, don't, don't worry. You're, you're fine. They lost. Uh, you're, you're our rector. So it was, I was so, so, so thankful. And then after that, the de next day we had a meeting um, of the whole church together with everyone in the vestry and the whole church demanded that three vestry members who started it resign. And, and this time we got them out of the church, we, we signed their papers, transferred them out. Um, and from that point on, there were no fights over this issue at all. From that point on, we had the, the, the foundation was solid. It was just building from that point on until the lawsuit came up. And it was still, even, even when the lawsuit came up and we lost our building, we only lost one person because of that. And that, uh, and that person was probably was connected with those other people who. <laughs> so, so 
so it was that that whole process um ended the the meeting with the bishop and all and the and the attempted alice happened in 2005 so by the time the lawsuit came around in 2007 we were on really good solid ground in the church wow that had to have felt i mean i know that afterward there was the whole lawsuit and everything and losing the building but even in the midst of that it had to have felt good somewhat that you had a, a solid base you had a solid group of people who were who backed you up who wanted to know jesus wanted the gospel preached and you you could go through it with them as a body now i do i I have a few other questions, but I I want to give maybe you some time to explain why what you did was not divisive. Because you come into the church, man, and all these people are leaving. Uh, that's that's so divisive of you to do that. It would seem like so. Why why would why is what you did and what went on? good for the church and that's what you you said that you know earlier the 20 people that left it's one of the best things that happened to good shepherd why is that especially in our in a lot of modern evangelical circles where this would be seen as this is not what christ wants we're supposed to be unified right why is what you did a good thing yeah i mean i believe it was a good thing right so the New Testament is pretty clear that divisiveness happens when people believe and promote heresy. That that when it if there's heresy being taught and promoted in a in a congregation or in a denomination, that's where the division is coming from. It's not it's not from the people who are opposing the heresy. It's from the people who are, who are promoting it. So if I go to a place full of people who believe error and I teach the truth, I'm not being divisive. I'm calling them back to union with christ so they're they're in disunion with christ and calling them back to union with christ so i always saw my responsibility as a minister of the gospel to to i don't have a choice i mean if i'm if i'm going into a place where there's no gospel being preached i have to preach the gospel if i'm going if i'm going to a place where people believe um something about sexuality that if they hold on to it and they follow that will lead them to hell i've, I've got to correct that or i'm i'm a, I'm a bad pastor so uh, go, I mean, I, I, people who think that that's divisive, I just encourage, encourage you, if you think that way, go back and read the New Testament and see how the apostles and Jesus dealt with error and false teaching. Uh, they, they, they are so kind and so compassionate with sinners who are confused, who are caught up in their sin. But when it comes to people who are leading them into sin, that, that's when the gloves come off. That's when the, there's, there's no, there's no um there's no like you said in your sermon on sunday there's no petting wolves at that at, at that point so now I, I don't think all the 20 people who left are wolves but i i do think that that the church had to make, be made safe for the gospel it had to, it had to be a place where the gospel could be preached securely without being undermined and so and so a clean break like that produ produced an atmosphere where that could happen uh, i i know some other pastors who took a different approach who tried to kind of persuade their detractors over a long period of time. And I don't think I know of a case 
um, where that is not ended in some kind of compromise. Um, because what happens is you, you're so anxious to keep everyone together, which in, 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 in normal circumstances, that's good. But when we're teaming with heresy, <laughs> they're so anxious to keep people together that that they that they slowly slowly this the conviction erodes and they're not contending for the faith anymore they're contending for a false kind of unity it is interesting isn't it when when we read the new testament the every time the apostles are talking about unity it tends to be more focused on the relational issues between people the sin issues between people uh this is where matthew 18 come uh, comes into play and we're to reconcile with one another that's the kind of unity that we're looking for but you don't find in the new testament anything on you can be united uh and have a totally different views on these um on these first issues of doctrine uh, every right because light doesn't have any union with darkness. And so if they're, I mean, teaching in the New Testament is, I mean, is a, a is so important to the to the apostles. It has to be sound. It has to be sound. And that word there, sound means to be healthy, which uh brings me to my, my last the last thing I want to bring up and and ask you, and then we'll 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 be done. But uh so I'm in in uh i'm in a class on uh church revitalization and it's 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 kind of um it is what it is but (laughs) but a lot of the stuff i've been reading on it i'm i am thinking about good shepherd and things that good shepherd has gone through and what you and ann did when you came to good shepherd and so i thought man Man, man, our, our church revitalizers. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you can put that on your resume if you'd like. But um, one of the, the things that I have learned from this class in in thinking through this is, is church revitalization is less how do we get more people in the door and and is is focused on making churches healthy. Yeah. And that's what it is all about. It's about having healthy churches. And pastors doing healthy ministry, so that is what you worked on. You worked on making an unhealthy church healthy by the grace of God. You did, and by the grace of God, it will continue to be. What are the primary things you would tell uh, pastors now and aspiring pastors? Um, what are the primary things they should be focusing on when they go into a church, whether it be something like your case, where man, people don't know the gospel or it is kind of a dying church what what is what are a few things uh, that they need to be focusing on doing and this is how this is what god uses to make churches healthy how does that happen and i think my my the, the passage i always had in my head throughout the whole the first five years of my ministry here was uh was uh uh Second uh, Timothy four and the and the you know you've you've got to um, what Paul says preach the word whether in season or out out, out of season whether, whether people are are wanting to hear you and they're not wanting to hear you uh, 
the times are going to come and people are looking for itching ears. But what you've got to do, you got to, you, you as a as a minister of the gospel have one job, and that's to communicate the word. And and so you let God. I know it's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy, but but the the role of the pastor is to let God take care of who comes and who goes away, um, who listens, who doesn't listen, who who's opened and who's who remains hardened. But you. I start Bible. If you don't have a Bible study in your church, start a Bible study. If you're not preaching expositionally, start preaching expositionally. You you want God's word to be heard clearly um, by all the people in your church. Um, if you if you if the people in your church don't have any idea what the law is um, with regard and uh, in distinction from the gospel, you need to start making that distinction clearly quickly they don't know what the gospel is <laughs> um and all of that can flow out of all that can and should flow out of regular your regular bible study and your regular preaching um and god if he if he wants to save your parish your your congregation that's how he's going to do it he's not going to do it any other way but by his by his word so you've got to be single you know, focused on that now of course you're a pastor so take care of your people visit the sick you know have people over for dinner all that kind of stuff um be a good pastor but but what god's going to use is not you being a nice person or you being you're you even being a caring person god's going to use his word to save people's souls great well thank you matt for uh spending some time answering those questions and letting uh everyone know a little bit more about you and um ministry at good shepherd uh that will be it for today thank you everyone for listening once again uh, go to the cranmerfellowship.com to learn more about what we're doing what we're up to uh including the pastoral training program that we're developing if you have questions about that uh please uh email us at cranmerfellowship at gmail.com and you can follow us on instagram at cranmerfellows thank you and we will see you next week <laughs>